Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Uh, And we have a treat for you today. Yes, uh, Super Rugby star... Um, international player and now Northland head coach, um, George Conyer. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, good, thank you. Paul, how are you this morning? Oh, very good. Very good, thank you. Um, now, you've travelled around a bit and uh, it sounds like you've travelled around a bit recently as well, but you're born in South Waikato, um, but then ended up going to uh, school in, um, in the Hawke's Bay, where you are, where you are currently. How, how, did, uh, how, how did that happen? Um, and so, um, initially my parents moved up to, uh, Pitararu. Uh, my dad was placed in a, a Māori, um, Māori program where they were, um, placing cadets onto, onto farms and he, um, went onto a dairy farm. It didn't quite work out. So I was born up there, but after I was born, obviously I went back to Hawke's Bay and we ended up, oh, and I was, I was raised in Waipawa, central Hawke's Bay for the remainder of those years. Oh, I okay. went so, you weren't to, actually, so you weren't actually brought up in in um, in Waikato. You, you, you no. brought, oh, okay. I think I might, I might have been like three months old when we went back to back to Hawke's Bay. So it was just a fleeting visit. Ah, okay. Cool. I was wondering which which colours you sort of grew up supporting, whether it, whether it would have been the Waikato colours or the uh, black and whites or or even green that you ended up playing in. Which what what, what was your what what were your kind of were your provincial colours as you, as you grew up? Um. So Hawke's Bay had. Um, so brought up in Hawke's Bay, um, went to Waipara Primary School, as I said, went to Teoti College after that, um, and that's where I kind of pretty much cut my teeth as, as a rugby player. After Teoti College, I went to uh, Palmerston North Teachers College down a month or two. So um, I had four, five years down there, um, got my teaching degree, met my beautiful wife, um, and play, obviously played uh, 50-odd games for a month or two in the process, so... Um, after that, went back to Hawke's Bay. And whoa, went in- whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're, zooming, we're zooming through your real life way too, way too quickly. Um, yeah. But uh, okay, that, that, that explains the, uh, the moving around. And um, I guess that's also an issue you, you, you have now up in, Hawk, in, in Northland as well, but the same with Hawke's Bay. Is you don't have a university for your, um, you, you guys to come through. So, so retaining some of your young talent 
can be a bit difficult when they're trying to juggle their rugby and also setting themselves up um, in, in life in case they don't make it. Yeah, that's right. So um, um, we have a, a polytech up there, uh, North Tech. Um, a lot of our players go through go through that um, f- facility, mm-hmm. but um, we do we do lose a lot of North our younger Northland players through um, through scholarships in Auckland. Um, so they pick up the scholarships, go to go to secondary schools down in Auckland, and then then they come back. Well, that's the goal anyway, is for them to come back and to play for Northland. So we do have a big uh, big. Um, <laughs> Um, loss of young young talent going to going to the Auckland region during the yeah, high school. Yeah, another thing that also you you, you get um, with, with the academy and some of the younger players is that, or some some of your club players is if they're in a place with a university, then early training is works out for them. But if if you're in like Northland, where a lot of your your um, club guys or your non super guys super guys will be probably in the trades, they're out, out early working anyway, so that's not a good switch. So you have to alter your training. To fit around them, if they're on apprenticeships or if they're working on on, on work sites, because they obviously start early and finish early, so you have to do your training in the evening later in the day. So, yeah, it's, it's there's different cultures in the different um, provinces, isn't there? Around that, around the kind of the work pattern of the the semi pros. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Like we've been um, contacting all of our players in a contract or a non contracted in our high performance group. Uh, over this COVID and uh, just checking and seeing how they are, the general welfare, um, whether they've got a job or not. And majority of them have got jobs. They're all got trades. Mm-hmm. So they come out of high school uh, and they're, they're straight into trades, as you say. Um, the, probably the biggest thing for us is that with regards to training would be, um, you know, travel is a big factor in, in our province. Um, so some, in the past, players have traveled from, from Kaitaia down to Whangarei, a two-hour one-way trip. To come and to train for the for the Mitre Ten Cup, train and then go back again. Um, so you know, travel has been a huge factor for us. So because of that, um, we've had to make some adjustments, like you've said. So, you know, so we start trainings at six thirty um, to give players enough time to finish work and, and to get there hopefully on time. Which must be feel a bit like your your days when um, pre professionalism. In fact, playing training Tuesday, Thursday nights, evenings after work. Um, a bit, a bit of a throwback in some ways. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but it also gives you a good balance off. Um, so it's not all about rugby. You need you need to understand that you need um, once rugby finishes, you're going to have something to fall back on. And these young men these days, as we did back in the day, you know, we want. My father said to me, "You need to have get something behind you." And um, so that's the reason I went to teachers' college, and that's the reason why a lot of our players go into into trades um, once they leave high once they leave high school. The, um, so talking about your dad there, what was your first rugby memory? Was was it was it him getting up in the middle of the night to watch All Blacks games, or or him taking you down the club to play? Um, my probably um, when I was uh, five years of age, I actually my first sport I played was soccer because I, I missed the registration. <laughs> but the following year, all my mates were playing rugby. I thought, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll go and do that too. So that's the main reason I, I started playing rugby, because my mates were. Um, my dad was a – like, he, he loved his rugby. He played a um, club rugby for Waipawa, Prime, uh, Waipawa Rugby Club. Um, he was on the fringes of Hawke's Bay selection, so rugby was a big part of our lives. Um, he was also on the rugby com- local rugby committee. So, yeah, we um, were brought up with – 
rugby uh, in our household, but not so much getting up in the early mornings and watching the All Blacks play and stuff like that. It was more about um, the Hawks Bay Magpies and supporting them. Okay, and um, there's uh, I've gone blank as to it was I was talking with. I think, oh, oh, I think it was um, uh, the um, oh gone, sorry uh, the 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 Northland um, CEO um, Dave Gibson. He's talking about uh, how that uh, yeah he he would be playing the, basically the the sort of Friday evenings with the folks down the rugby club. Uh, they'd be all in the rugby club with all the kids outside on the road playing playing rugby. Uh, under the streetlights, was that kind of also part of your upbringing, or not, not so much? Probably not so much because we're in a small town. Um, like we, we, our primary school went up to Form Two, mm-hmm. um, and we did have a connection with our local club. So the school was basically left to run itself. Right. Um, so we would train maybe once a week at school after school, and then on a Saturday turn up at the at the closest or at the nearby town, Waipukuro and play morning rugby, you know, um, just like every other kid um, in Hawke's Bay. Uh, oh, no, so, so no, there wasn't actually a club in your town where you lived? No. Ah, I see. That's... So, uh, you yeah. know, no rugby boots, turning up, frosty mornings, all that kind of stuff was, yeah, Full special. Yep. Um, so as you say, uh, 50, uh, 58 caps um, and 98 points for for, for, for Manawa 2. Um were you, so, so what, uh, what level of teaching do you do? Are you t- a, a, a primary school, secondary school? What, what, uh, what, what, what do you teach, or what did you teach? I say. Uh, so I, um, I got my uh, teaching diploma, um, and I uh, specialised in, in Maori. So um, uh, once I left uh, Teachers College, come back to Hawke's Bay, I got a, a teaching job at Tarata High School, mm-hmm. uh, and I uh, taught um, Maori but also uh, taught uh, PE. Um, so I was there for two and a half years <clears throat> and uh, just before uh, rugby turned professional, basically. So I really enjoyed those two years. They kind of gave me the um, – set the foundations, basically, or set me up really for going into a, a coaching role later on in my, later, later on in life that I didn't know about. So um, in hindsight, it was probably the best preparation for me as a coach. Um, yeah. Know, it's it's a- being organised and planning and all that kind of stuff. Really important. Oh, so actually, okay. So I see. Not not ne- not so much necessarily the dealing with the the pupils themselves, but the structure of how you put together your lesson plans, how you how you put together a curriculum or a terms worth of of um, of, of, of teaching. That's interesting because yeah, a, a, a lot of it. Um, a lot of times when we think about teachers and coaches, we think about how you've learned all the interaction with different types of different styles of learners and different people. But actually, you're, but the the but the, the structural side of it's um, important as well. Oh, very, very important. I think, you know, to be successful as a coach, obviously you've got to have knowledge, but you also need to be organised and planned. Um, so, yeah, that, I thought, uh, I think um, teaching put me in good stead with regards to that side of, of coaching. Um, also delivery, uh, delivery of message and how you get buy-in from uh, from the players is also really important. And you, you do learn that when you're at Teachers College and when you're in the classroom. Um, you've got to... A, a classroom full of 30 students, um, how am I going to get this this message across to them and how am I going to get them to understand and learn it? So you had so you had that time in, in Hawke's Bay um, and uh, that also got you into the, the very first Hurricanes side in um, in 96. I guess, how was that transition from being an amateur player to a professional player? How did you, did, uh, and obviously, obviously moving down to the big city 
Um, it was very exciting. Um, very exciting. Um, the uh, you're going from amateur um, rugby player to a um, to a fully professional setup was was um, yeah, a lot of a lot of big learnings. Uh, we basically in that first year in the Hurricanes, we pretty much were all still pr- um, very amateurish in the, in the way we um, still ate, the way we trained. Um, and but all those systems kind of were implemented in a lot, uh, you know, a little bit after that. But um, yeah, like traveling down to Wellington. At that stage, we were traveling down every week, so we'd um, play the game Saturday, travel back Sunday to Hawkes Bay, spend a couple of days here at back home, and then we'd travel down on Wednesday <laughs> in, in preparation for the next game. So that's how that all worked back then. Obviously. <laughs> Players are in full time, um, in full time living quarters down in Wellington mm-hmm. with the Hurricanes. But yes, some big changes have happened over the years. And how did that sort of environment work? Because you'd also been playing with the New Zealand Maori up until that point, which obviously it uh, kind of New Zealand's second team in some way. It's kind of yeah, I mean, practically international side. Um, how did the how did those two environments compare? I mean, was with the, with the New Zealand Maori as as prof- um, more professional or as professional as, as the Hurricanes initially? Um, New Zealand Māori back then was still quite a... They were um, still an amateur team. Um, we, we, we got uh, match day payments of $5 a day. Um, but, you know, we, we, um, we had a lot of fun off the field, but when, when we um, ran out onto the field or went out and trained or played, you know, we were very professional and we, we trained hard and we... We really enjoyed the, the physical combat and the physical intensity of the game, um, the, but also being part of that team was very special in itself and unique. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of New Zealand teams I was involved with. Didn't quite get to the big one, but um, and each each team had its own unique character, and um, just I was very fortunate to be part of some of those teams, but and also meeting a lot of really good mates throughout the years too. Yeah, you, you say it was, it was amateur then, and. Sure. Okay, it was amateur from a, as you say, from a from a payment point of view. You got basically a coffee a day, um, <laughs> in today's money. Um, but you still were playing. Look at the teams that they played between '91 and um, uh, and I've got blanks when you so because you, you were playing from '91 to '95. So they still played the Cook Islands, Tonga, Fiji. Um, had a tour match against uh, the British and Irish Lions. Mm. Uh, play. Um, so yeah, you were still playing. I mean, really, uh, I mean, top level, top level. Um, Opposition when you were playing those games. Yes, yeah, that's right. And the all, the All Blacks at that stage, were, they were um, especially against the Lions. They were available when they played for the New Zealand Māori team. Yep. Um, so that game that we played against the Lions was down in Wellington. You know, we were up by twenty nil at half time. They came back as twenty or twenty, um, which didn't quite go to plan. But the you know we had some really high caliber players in that Māori team. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, um, you know, that was uh, driven by the New Zealand Rugby Union, and um, because of that, then you know, we had some, you know, really classic games and some high quality matches in those in those years that I was involved. Hey, you, you teaching Maori, you, you're, you're very connected with your, your, your Maori roots, um, but we see that the, the New Zealand Maori now they go and spend time on a marae as, as part of their training, sort of teaching some of the. Um, uh, some of the players again about their cultural roots as well as about the about the game. Did you was 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 there a lot of was it was a lot of that sort of teaching some of the other players about Nemari 
culture was that part of the part of the setup as well as just as well as playing yeah i think it's and it's been a consistent um uh thing that's been done over you know over over the years uh, we had a komatua um that komata komata would um help us understand um some of the traditions some of the values that were in the maori culture for those that didn't understand it clearly um like um simple things like grace before we eat um saying a, a small karakia or a prayer before we go out and train or play um learning the haka and the meaning of the haka that we used back then so uh, there's a lot of learnings um but as, as i said uh everybody was coming back uh, coming from similar backgrounds um so once we got together it was you know it was it was very special fantastic the um and you only did one year with hurricanes before um he- heading uh, was it was straight overseas to um to japan yep that's right and uh, so how did that move come about how because uh, obviously professionalism still very very uh, sort of young then I'm, I'm guessing you didn't have um, official agents and all of those sort of things in place to take taking their five or, or whatever it is or, or 15 percent cut or whatever it is um, <laughs> you, uh, you probably weren't getting your endorsements from Adidas or or Puma for your boots and things you had to all buy those yourself so so how how how, how did you find out about a role in Japan and uh, and, and go there um, so the company that I initially went and played for was a company called Isetan so it's like a big um, basically like a big Harrods uh, or version of in, in Japan. Um, so the assistant coach of the Hurricanes would be going over there every year and just helping out with that company team. Mm-hmm. Um, they mentioned to him that they were after a a player, uh, a centre, and from New Zealand. And did he know of anybody? And um, when he came back, we had a pretty good relationship at that stage. And he asked me whether I wanted to go or not. Um, so yeah, I. I jumped at the chance. Um, by that stage, I was, you know, 28. I'd been in a lot of. I played a lot of rugby in New Zealand. It wasn't quite working for me, um, and All Blacks was probably a bit of a stretch at that stage. So, um, yeah, I uh, had a young family, um, wife, baby that was three months old. So yeah, we decided to go to Japan. So you, the, the, the whole family went up for four, for those four years. Um, yeah, the whole family, whole family moved up. So the initial plan was to go up there for three years, mm-hmm. um, and we ended up living in Japan in total for seventeen years. So um, you know, we spent a, a lot of time over in Japan. Great place to bring up a young family. Um, really, uh, really good people too over there. And um, so you're fluent in Japanese now. I'm okay. Yeah. Like I, I, I can, I can coach in it. Um, but if I really, if I needed uh, detail, uh, I'd use the translator. But pretty much, I can, I can, um, yeah. And your little, little one conversation in Japanese. Your, your little one obviously went to would have been to school up there, so I guess that they, they they are fluent in Japanese. Oh, they were, um, they were, they, they kind of. Um, that was probably the hardest part of it. Like uh, they would live up there in in, in, in stints, so for maybe for a couple of years. Um, but once our son was diagnosed with autism, it really uh, he, we believed that he needed specialist help. Mm-hmm. So that's, from that point on, my wife would go back to New Zealand and live there, and then come back to Japan um, during the school breaks. Right. Um, so that was probably the hardest part of living in Japan was that time away from from uh, my wife and kids. And yeah, family. 
Uh, absolutely. And that's talking with Jason Schumacher yesterday, and one of the reasons he ended up going to uh, overseas to Exeter Chiefs was the fact that then he wouldn't have to travel so much with rugby and if he could be with the family. So, yeah, that, that separation mm-hmm. is, a, is, is, is definitely a problem that a lot of professional rugby players have either if they go overseas and don't go with their families or if they are staying in New Zealand, playing, say, in, in Northland, but then also having to travel down to, say, play for the Highlanders, you end up having to be in two different places for, well, for four or five months of the year. It's a, it's, it's a difficult balancing act, to, um, especially when you've got, got, got kids in schools. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of travel involved, obviously, and uh, especially if, um, if I reflect on on my family and my kids, like they've been to a lot of different schools, lived in a lot of different places, um, and I suppose in that they they get to learn about a little bit about life, um, how to how to deal with um, different situations, mm-hmm. gives them a good a balance. But um, we've also had some really good years, you know, um, um, and some. Uh, had some good times. There's a lot of things that you can do in Japan as a family that are unique in the world, you know, um, but also not just in Japan, but in different provinces. Uh, for example, Northland, you know, there's some special, special uh, um, things that you can go and see and, and experience in Northland. Um, so, yeah, it's just about making the best of the situation that you have and um, buying into the culture that that's there. Um, so, it, it, uh, in its time, sorry, I'm mispronouncing that they from it's not a name I recognize I'm guessing they're not top league they're, 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 they're level below that and then you move to NEC which I think is a top league side yes so Isitan um, they folded ah, okay okay um, yeah so after Isitan once that folded I um, I went and played for NEC um, so actually John Kewen got me over there John Kewen was playing for NEC um, and he they were looking for a, a a replacement for him and um they gave me a call and I was, I was over there and uh, I had the pleasure of um playing with Glenn Marsh over there mm-hmm. at uh, NEC and we were very successful at NEC we um we won championships um and uh yeah we had a great time and that also gave the opportunity to uh, represent Japan at the Rugby World Cup in 2003 down in Australia yeah, yeah that's right that yeah. was uh, that was probably one of the highlights of my rugby career to be fair um, going over to Australia, playing in the World Cup, scoring a try—you um, know—that's that, that, those are things that dreams are made of. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, at the same time, I, my wife and kids were with me, um, so they stayed in the same hotel, which was even more unique um, and more special. So, yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, real good bunch of young men, um, and friendships I'll, I'll remember for a lifetime. Wow, I mean, that's also a pretty unique uh, team culture or or way of running things. So most most times, I mean, we've talked with we've, we've from being English. I've heard um, stories like the English football team being having their partners banned for the entire football tournament. Um, I've never heard of partners sort of staying with uh, or for families staying with the, the the players during a tournament. So is, is is that something a bit unique out of the Japanese uh, Japanese sort of style or? Um, yeah, probably. So, and like we're talking, you know, nearly nearly twenty years ago, mm. um, so things were a little bit uh, looser, I suppose, with respects to um, families being involved with players. But I probably just need to um, elaborate on that a little bit. So, like, we were staying in the same motel, but we were living, you know, in, in separate rooms. So I was right. I was with the, with my teammate, um, roomed up with him, but my wife was on the other side of the hotel with the kids. So that's how that worked. <laughs> 
<laughs> but still, yeah, yeah, having them around for, as you say, for the um, for the tournament would have been uh, would be fantastic. Uh, especially as you've been, you say, been traveling, spending a lot of time apart, um, being up in Japan as well. But uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, not a win at that tournament. Unlike the way that uh, Japan has gone on since then, but um, but still, uh, and I guess the being there for seventeen years, the have Japan closed the gap at some. Um, at club level or to the sort of super rugby and the club competitions in you know, the, that you've experienced here in, in New Zealand um, or or is there still quite a big gap there but the, but the top teams managed to close the gap? I think um, they've definitely closed the gap. Um, you know, like, I think a, a big part of that has been the influence of foreign players mm-hmm. but also foreign coaches going into Japan and, and um and upskilling uh, the the local players, the local Japanese players. Uh, there's a lot of world class Japanese players now that are playing rugby, and um, I think with the results that they've had in the last two World Cups has been a direct um, outcome of that, with the quality coaching um, that they've had, but also the probably the the number of foreign players that they've got playing for that national team um, has increased. So that's also helping them, but a combination of a lot of different factors, I think. Um, with that, with that, uh, with the coaching that they're getting from foreign coaches, it also just gives those Japanese players, which are the key to the whole of the whole success of this, giving them confidence to be able to compete, but also to start winning contact at international level. Um, so yeah, you know they've done very very well. I think the Japanese rugby union have been very open to to. Uh, th- um, the ideas that foreigners are bringing into their into their programs, and I think they're just going to go from strength to strength. I firmly believe that Japan could definitely foot it in the um, in the championship with Australia, the All Blacks, and Argentina, and the Springboks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the um, yeah, I, I, and I think the sooner we get them them involved, um, the better. Personally. Um, so, is that one of the changes you you, you saw with the, the game over there? That because they always had a reputation for playing at pace with skill, but the, but the the contact and the physicality has improved um, over, over over the years. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and so the so the coaching's obviously improved, but also the the um, strength and conditioning programs. Mm-hmm. Um, the players are a lot bigger um, to be able to handle the contact. Um, they're a lot fitter, uh, so they still can play at, at speed. But um, also the decision-making is a lot better than it used to be. Um, so they used to play with, with speed, and everybody used to understand that, but some of the decision-making was very poor. So they turned the ball over, being in a really strong attacking position, and end up being under their own posts, you know, 40 seconds later. So I think there's been, a, like a, as I said, a, a combination of factors of why they're so good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but the strength and conditioning side of it um, has also really improved. So you, you played up there until, I think, what, about 2005, and then yep. did some coaching up there. Well, did a bit of coaching down in Hawke's Bay, and then back up there coaching um, as, 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 as well. And then, so how did you land up in, in Northland? Interesting story, that. Um, so I was, I was coaching over in uh, Japan at this stage, uh, a company team called Kintetsu in Osaka. Mm-hmm. And um, in the same, in Osaka was also another team called NTT Dokomo and Darren Whitcomb was was coaching there 
And so we obviously got to know each other really well over there. Um, he came back to New Zealand and started coaching Northland. Um, and he, uh, there was an assistant coaching role that was that came up at Northland. Asked if I wanted to apply, applied and, and got the job. So that's basically where um, that whole relationship started. And then um, Darren stood down at the end of last season and now you've stepped up and this is going to be your first season as... Uh, as, as as a head coach or a head coach, sorry for um, for Northland because you were head coach over there in in Japan as well. Um, mm. So, what good things are you, are you going to keep that, that, that Darren was doing, and, and, and what new things are you going to look at? Uh, well, let's start with start with the good things, and then we'll then we'll talk about what that you're going to keep, and then we'll talk about what what new things you'll introduce afterwards. Yes, so like um, so I've had four seasons with Northern Rugby, so this is going into my fifth year. In those four seasons. Uh, we got to the semi-finals twice yep. of the championship, um, so a lot of good things were done over those years. Um, so now I think, just with regards to me stepping up into the head coaching role, it's just about tweaking certain aspects of of our campaign. Um, so yeah, just learning uh, what we can do better and making sure that everybody is doing it together. I think that's one of the first things I want to to achieve. Um, yeah, so I think the. Um, and, and, my as, as you said, broken up into two parts, really. It's community and Mitre 10 Cup. Okay, yep. Um, so, with, with regards to the community, that's really about me uh, trying to build pathways for players that are within the province. Uh, how do I go about that? It's probably putting more resources, or the union, uh, putting more resources into our, our youth development. So academies and high schools, uh, sub-union uh, rugby pro- development programs, um, having a North Zone Far North Academy for boys and girls. Um, so all these things are going to hopefully give us a, a better athlete um, that will be better prepared to be selected for Mighty Ten Cup. In the past, we've selected uh, players for Mighty Team Cup straight out of club rugby that haven't been part of the, a high-performance program. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting there because um, I guess uh, a couple things. One is that that's not going to bear fruit for five, year, five years or so. Um, so so you, you might not even see the benefit of that, but you're still putting it in, which is good to see. Um, and secondly, I think one of the things that's, that was, when having a chat with the um, assistant coach before you, up at Northland, he was talking how they'd spent a lot of time uh, trying to improve the level of um, club club rugby. So mm. you say when you select those players for Mighty Ten Cup, they're in a better place. Now it looks like it's that next stage down, taking that to the next level of saying, "Yep, yeah, right, we've improved our club rugby. Um, now we need to improve the players going into that club rugby by getting the the, the, the next stage beneath it." Um, so putting, yeah, as you say, adding building blocks to that community program. Yes, definitely. Um, and that's not not just with the players too. That's with the coaches also. So if you think if we go to a training, a a, a field training, there's thirty students, uh, thirty people, uh, thirty players there. We run the session, but imagine the benefits that we could have if we have thirty coaches at a um, at a workshop. You know, then all of a sudden the word is being spread, a lot more details getting out into the clubs, which they in turn uh, pass on to their players. So. Um, the development of our players and coaches is crucial 
for um, Northern becoming one of the leading provincial unions in New Zealand rugby. And I honestly think we can do that, but it is going to be a long-term fix. So you said that you said there were two pieces, the community side and the and the, the high performance side. So what's the that's the that's the community side. What's the uh, the high performance side to make that happen? So for for my team cup, I think it's really about again development and retention. Um, so we have um, need to look back and, at what's happened in the past, and there's some key learnings that have happened that we need to be mindful of going into this year. I think one of the, the key areas would be strength and conditioning mm-hmm. um, going into this year's campaign. Uh, there's some big learnings from us, I feel, from last year where uh, I don't think we got the loading right. Um, so we're going into a Mitre 10 Cup campaign fatigued. So right. this year it's been – we've sat around the table um, with our, with our um, strength and conditioning coaches – but also with the players, and we've worked on making it more progressional. So by the time we get to Mitre 10 Cup, you know we're chomping at the bit and we're ready to play. So that's going to be um, that is going to be critical for us. Um, again, because of the loading that we went into Mitre 10 Cup last year, I feel we because of that, that the possible outcome is that we we did have a lot of injuries, yep. a lot of injuries, and um, so which. So we ended up playing a lot of players with not much experience. I think we had 27 players that we used last year that had 10 or less caps. You know, so it's so it's building on that experience from last year and making and making sure that we understand our learnings from from it and uh, making ourselves stronger this year. Yeah, because going into last year, I'll be honest, we um, we had Northland down as being one of the teams that would be that would be in the. Um... Uh, in the playoffs uh, and, and, and and challenging, uh, that slipped away, and I think it was mainly down to as you say uh, they you had a lot of injuries, um, mm. and that was after two seasons as you say being in the playoffs. So the yeah, I thought that there were, there was things were heading in the right direction. It just seemed the injuries that, that, that hurt you last year. The um, I guess that that um, that ramping up is going to be an interesting one because you're dealing with competitive boy uh, competitive people, mm. um, and to ask them not to be at the peak they can be for their club rugby. And to and to be kind of still ramping up at that point is going to be is is going to be an interesting challenge for them to try and not uh, to to realise that there are bigger goals. I guess in some ways the way that um, they've had to not play for basically the first half of the year will help in that ramping up in some ways for sit with the with the new the new season. We're kicking off in probably mid mid June or, or at least or trainings probably kicking off in mid June for the coach for the um, for the club sides. So it's going to be, I guess it's going to help in that way that they won't have had four months of, of bashing each other at the, in the first half of the year. Yeah, I suppose they are going to be reasonably a lot more fresher coming mm-hmm. into the Mitre 10 Cup. So with our club season, it's going to be probably one round and um, maybe a semi-final final. We just need to confirm that yet with the, with the clubs. Um, then we go into a four-week program our pre-season program, and then we start Mitre 10 Cup, like you say. So potentially our players could be fresher this year. Um, but I know our players um, have been working very hard on this in this um, during this COVID-19. Um, they are going to lose a little bit of muscle mass, but there should be no excuses for them not to be fit. So our, our, our Jeremy, our strength and conditioning kid trainer, he's um, 
been setting up programs for the players to to uh, follow every week. Um, the players have been doing that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite exciting, really. I think when you take something away from somebody that they're used to having, you know, all of a sudden, when, once it's back again, you, there's that sense of excitement and motivation. So um, I think, you know, once we do come out of this lockdown, playing club rugby is going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be very ex- exciting for everybody involved. So were, were the uh, strength and conditioning guys dashing around, dropping off bits of training kit to different players to, 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 to use just before, just before lockdown? Yeah, just before lockdown, so um, all of our gear was dished out to the players um, evenly. So uh, the, the, everybody had access to, um, to some sort of weight training, um, but, or if they had injuries, they had access to a, a spin bike. So um, we tried to get, uh, Jeremy did a really good job with regards to dishing that stuff out and making sure that everybody had programs. So yeah, I think we're in a, a pretty good, pretty good position at the moment. Um, so yeah, I suppose the next part of it is incorporating our um, trainings into club rugby, um, our, our HP trainings, and um, yeah, getting ready for for Mitre Ten Cup. So any uh, any interesting stories of? Uh, novel uses of, of, of items for weights. I mean, we've seen some Blackfoot, well, I've saw one of the Blackfoots um, weightlifting using a sheep. Uh, obviously, she works on a farm. Um, with any, uh, I, think, I think that was more for TikTok than, than, than serious training, but any, any kind of novel, novel, novel items that the, the boys have been using to, 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 to weightlift? Uh, one, of the, one of the players who's a prop sent in a, um, a video, some video footage of him stepping through a tyre that tire was connected to a rope. The rope was connected to his four-wheel drive truck. So he's leaning forward um, and, and pulling this truck, you know, in a, in a scrum position. So <laughs> these are some real novel ways that the players are um, training. And yep. um, it's good to see a bit of innovation out there, you know, uh, thinking outside the square and, and getting relevant training into their, into their daily routines. And that's going to be key, actually, isn't it? As you say, the difference between those who have just been generally training uh, and those especially in specific, um, the sort of uh, the, the, those specialized positions like 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 prop and hooker um, as to getting the the right because um, it's a very different style of of strength than you would get if you just sort of do your normal normal sort of um, I don't know zumba workout or whatever um, yeah. get but getting uh, yeah it's got yeah the so 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 perhaps we might see some we might might see some props uh, Perhaps uh, doing better, or, or some props not doing quite as well as we might as as, as we'd expect because of how, how they've trained over these lockdown. Do you think? Yeah, well, so so Graham Jews, um, uh, my assistant coach, he, he's uh, he's been doing some really, or he was doing some really really good work um, with scrum clinics before COVID started, mm-hmm. um, and then once we get back into into training, he will be starting those up again. Um, so he's been he's been touching base with with the front rowers with the tight five, making sure that they are, are prepared and they're not using this COVID as an excuse. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, to seeing how everything um, unfolds, and I'm sure that uh, you know um, Graham will get the Ford pack firing this year. And also, we don't want to stereotype, but let's be honest: those the, the, the front row can be the ones that uh, might eat a little bit more and put on a bit of weight occasionally. Um, so, yes, they have to be a bit more careful. And some of the backs who are uh, kind of used to, or just being able to, yeah, just going out for a jog and, or going out for a run, 
uh, and, and, and keeping fit. Yeah, and that's human nature, though, isn't it, Paul? Yeah. I think, like, for example, yourself and me, I think we've probably eaten a, a little bit too much over this uh, COVID-19. I'm not sure, but um, with regards to the players, they, they know what, what's ahead of them and, they, um, and they're, they're doing what's right, you know, uh, so they're watching what they're eating. Um, obviously, they might carry a little bit, but it shouldn't be too much that we can um, that we can take care of. Now, you've mentioned that you obviously you're a very big province up there, um, as in sort of area-wise. You're also at one end of the country, uh, which means also that you, you travels a bit more than some of the others. How um, uh, so? So, one of the sort of key things, well, one of the sort of unique things about my tank up is you get to select. Um, a couple of your games. How did you uh, direct your, um, or, or what advice did you give your CEO uh, when he was selecting those games? Did you say, "Hey, look, we want short travel," or do you, or do you say, "Hey, look, we want to play Auckland because that's a good rivalry that our boys get up for"? How, how do you go about sort of trying to select those games? Um, so it is actually, um, it is a, there is a bit of a process there that goes on. So some of the selections are, are taken out of your hands based yeah. on what other provinces have selected. Um, so the, like when we are looking at it, we are looking at maybe traditional rivalries that we have played or that we have had. For example, Auckland, you know, we, our players always love getting up and, and playing Auckland, um, whether it's in Northland or, or down there at, on Eden Park. So a lot of it is, is based on um, obviously who – that some of those traditional rivalries, but also who've got a really good chance of, of having, a, having a crack at and winning and beating. Um, so, and but the other on the other side of the ledger is it's also taken out of your hands by what other t- um, provinces have selected. So, yeah, I think we're pretty happy with with the draw that we got at, before COVID, but um, I'm not sure how that potentially could change once um, once we come out of it. Uh, and have you been given any indication as to Someone like Jack Goodhue, will he be available for you? Or from, um, uh, yes, because I mean, there's been suggestions that the All Blacks will be sort of returning to minus ten cup um, with you guys. I think what is, you've got you've got Jack. Is there anyone? I'm trying to think. Anyone else? Is, I think it's probably your you know, the sort of headline guy. Uh, maybe um, you, might, you might have thought about maybe losing Tom Robinson, who's obviously also been a big, but who was playing for the Blues and was talked about being sort of fringe All Black squad. Are you expected to have all those guys available? Um. I would love to have Jack available for for Northland, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, but we're we're not sure whether that's going to happen or not. Um, but if it if it if it does, then you know we'll welcome with welcome him with open arms. And if any other players selected for the All Blacks, you know, good luck to them. We um, would like to think we have some um, in some way helped them with their journey to get to the All Blacks. Um, but we are hoping that all of our super players will, will, will be coming back and playing for us. Um, that domestic competition is going to be brutal. Um, so it'll be just interesting um, how they come through that. But uh, if they are available, they will be playing for Northland. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you surprised me. I mean, Jack will actually come straight back into the side. I, I, this, I thought you'd have, to, you'd have to earn his stripes to get back into the... Uh, um, play play at least five club games. Um, the <laughs> one of the things I I, I forgot to talk talk about, but um, is is your college because uh, there's there's some pretty good alumni uh, coming through that college there. 
um, players um, like uh, Piriwipu, Norm Hewitt, um, mm. Joe Royal, uh, Ricky Flutie, um, Kane Hames. There's uh, it's it's got, it's got quite a uh, quite a rugby uh, rugby pedigree, hasn't it? Your, the the, um, the college you came through. Yes, yeah, it's got a strong history of um, producing a lot of top quality rugby players. Like, um, if you think about it, it's 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 in the middle of in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> really good facilities that are, but um, apart from doing schoolwork, you know, we just used to play rugby, and um, it was a very tight knit culture uh, at Teoti College. Um, so a lot of the values that, that we had there um, not only helped you throughout life, but also really bonded you and, and made you a tight unit. As, um, so, I, mean, I, mean, I think it's probably a little bit over the years. There's a name here that I don't recognise. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of it, and I really do apologise. Um, but tier two, uh, Penny uh, Kingy, um, who was an all black back in the early 20s. So... Having having sort of pictures like that on the walls, did that was was that kind of did did that help you kind of or, or give you inspiration to say, yep, yeah, look, I can. Is, is that where you kind of thought, you know, I can play top level rugby at that stage, or um, or, or when did you kind of? Kind oh, of definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like when you see those pictures on the walls, like you said, it's, there's a lot of lot of inspiration there. Like uh, one day I'd like to be an All Black. You know, I want to be an All Black, so, um, and and I think. With the principle that we had back in in the day, I was there. Are we Riddell? Like you know, we used to. It was very very disciplined. Um, we worked hard. So every morning, the whole school would get up at, I think it was six thirty, and we would run for half an hour before we come back, showered, and start doing our jobs and preparing for school. Wow. So that's that's the kind of work ethic that he instilled in us, and that has probably played a big part in, in the success of those those teams and also those individuals. Cool. Uh, another name on there I should talk some bit about um, is uh, Carl uh, T. Nana, uh, the um, Rugby Sevens and so on, who you'll see on the TV talking about Rugby Sevens a lot as well. Um, and also yeah. a guy that's um, another guy that, I, that you see up in Northland as well, because I think doesn't his, he has a relative that's, that's, that's on your squad? Or was? Oh, Renata Roberts Tenana? Yes, that's right. Yep. You see, uh, that's uh, Carl's son. Yeah, so Carl, so yeah, so, so interesting that you went to. Um, the same school as him down in Hawke's Bay, and now his son is up in Northland, and you're coaching him. Which yeah. is <laughs> it's a small world, man. It's a, a small very, very world, small absolutely. world. The rugby world, and uh, even more so, like you'll be walking down a street in Japan, uh, then all of a sudden you see someone that you went to school with. You know, yes. it's just crazy, mate. So, uh, yeah, small world. Um, cool. Um, the so so when you expect to be back in the office uh, in uh, in Northam, so we're down we're now back now to level two or level two started yesterday. So when when do you expect to be back in the office in Northland and uh, and cracking on? Um, so we're still continue like dur- during level two, we'll still continue to work remotely, um, and during level two, uh, once we're given the clearance, um, we will start going back into the Northland. Uh, rugby union and working from there but um, at this stage yeah, we'll, it's just a wait and see to be fair just like everybody else um, if anything uh, what's happened in COVID is we've learned to be able to work remotely and through Zoom Zoom meetings and, and telephone calls so you know um, we've still been 
I think we've still achieved a hell of a lot during this this time and this breakdown. But um, yeah, definitely working, looking forward to getting back and and coaching on the field, and also uh, reconnecting with some of the, the staff at Northern Rugby Union. So two big dates, folks. For everyone, is like, I think it's something like the 29th and 25th of May is when the uh, government is reviewing the the number of people allowed in the gathering. So currently it's 10, um, and then I think 28th of May, that Thursday, is when there's so some sort of sports guidance around um, grassroots rugby or club rugby. So um, big, uh, a couple of big dates there in the last week in May. So that's when I guess we'll get uh, a bit more clarity um, as to how this all goes. Uh, if you are yep. a member of a club, please do check official guidance before you go back to um, training or taking part in any sport, um, please. Cool. Um, thank you very much for your time. Any kind of other things you'd like to say about what's what's going on in Northland uh, and uh, and the work you're doing up there? I'm obviously really excited to be coming um, through this, 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 this lockdown. Um, I think we're all very excited to be to, to know that uh, rugby will be played this year. Um, but it's just really important that we don't undo the, all the good work that we've done um, as a community here in New Zealand and also in Northland. But, and just to make sure that we take the correct precautions, eh, because we don't want to stuff this up. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to seeing everybody's smiling faces back out on the, on the, on the training grounds and also at game day. So, um, yeah, looking forward to, to getting back to Northland and um, being, part of, being part of something special. Cool. Thank you very much for your time. Now, myself and Stephen Harris, um, assuming, we're both, assuming we're allowed, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll be up at the Northland Games. Um, and uh, so, folks, keep uh, like the page on, and follow uh, the podcast. Just search for New Zealand Sports Radio on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, because we'll be up there uh, for those Northland Games, bringing you post-match interviews with people like... Um, uh, um, like George, as long as he's uh, not in too bad a mood after, uh, as long as he's in a good mood after the game. Um, uh, so please do uh, do like the page uh, and follow the, uh, the station uh, and we'll get around as many of the Mighty 10 Cup games as we can. Um, really looking forward to, to following that later in the year. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 